You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's show. Uh, and this week, it's just me and Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Simon. Yeah, good to yep. be back. Very enjoyed you and Peter Cohen last week. Very, very enjoyable show to listen to. Yep, thank you. Well, it was a very enjoyable chat with Peter, I have to say. And I know several listeners have um, put things in the Slack saying how much they enjoyed it. So that's all good. That's the point. That's what we do it for. So anyway, no Jim yep. this week. He's feeling a bit under the weather. Says he should be back next week. And uh, I also asked Mark if he wanted to come on the show. And he's feeling a bit run down as well and couldn't face it. So get well soon, lads. Feel better. Feel better quickly. Yeah. It's that yeah. time of the year, isn't it? Yeah, they're all <laughs> feeling a bit, you know. Yeah, the long, dark, grey days and cold and wet. and yeah, just, There we are. So, neither of those are feeling too sharp. So, as I say, feel better soon, boys. And uh, we look forward to having you on next week. Um, yeah. There we are. What's happened this week? Um, biggest story, I suppose. Amazon had a massive outage, which created havoc and took down services far and wide, particularly on the eastern seaboard of the US. Um, a dangerous floor known as, uh, I think it's Log4J um, or Log4Shell uh, has been found in Apache. Apparently it's been patched and uh, anybody who has Apache, um, you know, servers should patch immediately because it's rated 10 out of 10 for seriousness um, and could create major yeah, so, havoc. Uh, we need to say pat we need to say patch your apache because an unpatched apache <laughs> is patchy be performance really <laughs> <laughs> yes uh but it, it is serious this is serious it's not a laughing matter and attackers have been exploiting it already as soon as it became you know known what it did um it allows people to run um you know uh code run any code they like basically simply by sending uh -oh. a text command yes dangerous very dangerous um we'll move on we'll we'll talk about that in a bit apparently it was first discovered in minecraft where people were using it to prank each other um you know by getting it to open web pages and rick rolling people and such like but uh, oh, right. when they, uh, you know, when it was investigated, it turned out to be a far more dangerous flaw uh, than that and uh, wasn't actually in Minecraft at all, but is a part of the Apache installation and a lot of other things as well, by the way, uh, being as it's a Java library. Um, what else have we had? Tim has pledged money to Tornado Relief, um, you know, much as he gave money to Hurricane Relief and Wildfire Relief and... All the other things that Apple like to, you know, do um, do their bit is jolly good. Um, they've been pushing out release candidates for the next wave of OS updates this week. Um, I've had two, um, two rounds. I had one earlier in the week which showed up as 15.2 uh, and not tagged as a beta, which is basically a release candidate. And I had another one this morning. And I have one on my Mac waiting to install. So uh, expect all, and you know, a wave of new updates forthwith. So there we are. Mm. Mm, get ready for that. Um, so what have we got? I've got a few stories, not a huge amount going on, really. Um, Apple have got a last minute delay in complying with the App Store changes after the Epic lawsuit. Um, apparently, they have been awarded um, a stay which means they will not have to allow App Store developers uh, to direct users to alternative payment systems other than in-app purchasing for the moment. As at the last minute, an appeals court judge granted their motion to delay these changes until uh, the appeal has been heard in full, which basically means that could drag on for Lord knows how long. 
be honest. Yeah, I'm tempted to say, just get on with it, Apple. Just, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Getting but, a bit annoying now. It's getting a bit tedious, and it's like the Apple-Samsung thing that, uh, you know, was like dragged on forever and a day. So, uh, not, well, not... I, I don't, yeah, I on, don't see that it, make, it makes that much difference to the Apple's bottom line, really. I don't uh, think I don't it know, makes any... I don't any know why the... They're making such a fuss about it, really. But there we go. There we go. Especially not if they can then get a you know adjudication that they're still allowed to collect their commission. In which case, it makes no odds whatsoever, really. Um, there we are. No, no, that's right. I don't know. No, maybe it's just because they want to stick it to Epic, and uh, you know, the longer they could be, you know, the longer they can drag it out, the more annoyed Epic becomes about the whole thing. Um, Who knows? Um. I found this one quite interesting. I've got two stories, one from Gizmodo and one from 9to5Mac. Apparently, Apple is rolling out a manual firmware updater for AirPods um, because, basically, AirPods are meant to automatically update their firmware when Apple release a firmware update. Um, and in a Twitter post, uh, Stella Fudge revealed that Apple was releasing an AirPods firmware update at all in a bid to help specific problems with the devices. Um, right, yes. AirPods in the charging case and connected to a power source are supposed to download the latest firmware promptly when available, but this does not always happen. Um, so there we go. Um, as it says here, don't get excited. This doesn't mean you'll have a readily available tool to fix your AirPods at home when they malfunction because of firmware updates. Um, the tool will be rolling out to Apple stores and Apple authorized service providers and not to end users. So um, there you go. But it does mean uh, if you have problems with the firmware on your AirPods, you know, refusing to update, you should be able to take them to your um, Apple store or authorized service provider who will be able to manually do it using this tool. So that's um, that's so that. Does that mean if you do? Does that mean if you took your AirPods in before, they couldn't update them? I, well, they did I presume, didn't, presume didn't, that's what that means. Yeah, I, I assume so. They didn't have a specific tool to do it with. Um, I mean, they may have had a way to do it. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps they had to jump through hoops a bit and force it to Yeah, I suspect they download, probably had to download do it or whatever. Shenanigans, yeah. do some shenanigans. Um, but uh, there you go. Not available to you and me at the moment and possibly never available to you and me, but it does mean... Yeah, uh, they, don't want, they don't want loads of people bricking their AirPods, do they? Trying to force <laughs> it. To, trying to force um, updates on them, no. Anyway, um, I've got one here. This came via Chuck, actually. Chuck uh, posted this. I think he put it on Twitter. And this is an article on Rocket Yard, who I've never heard of, I have to admit. Uh, Mac OS Monterey exploring the redesigned go-to folder. Um, not something a lot of us use all the time. I have used it in the past, um, occasionally when you're trying to get to um, obscure folders in, you know, sometimes hidden folders, system folders and so on. Um those of you who've used it in the past will know that in the past, basically under the Go menu, where you have, you know, documents, desktop, applications, utilities, and all those things, um, connect to uh, servers and things, there is a Go to folder for which the command is, in fact, uh, Command Shift G. Um, and in the past, you simply got a path window. So you had to know the exact and full path to the item you were trying to track. Um, and this is no longer so. You now get, um, in effect, a kind of spotlight search kind of thing where you can start typing the path. And as you uh, type, it will show you suggestions for what you might be after. And rather than having to know the full path, you can then select one of the uh, one of the objects. Oh, yeah. oh yes. I've just tried it. It works. Yeah. Which does make it, um, you know, more user-friendly. In the past, it was very much an admin tool. Um, As long as you're not like me and you don't know where, you don't know what it is you're looking for. (laughs) So you don't know where to look. As long as you do know where you want to look, that's very useful. It is. But, well, with this, you don't necessarily have to know precisely where to look as long as you know the target. So, for example, if you type in there, um, I type uh, ETC, which is a hidden um, system folder, 
it shows here that it lives in private etc and you could click that to open that folder um so yeah it means you don't necessarily have to know the exact path to some obscure folder in order to get there which makes it rather more user friendly it's a sort of spotlight kind of uh, tool and that's new in monterey so yeah oh i've just tried typing wi in and i've got winnie the pooh jpeg <laughs> I've actually got a Winnie the Pooh JPEG on my machine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and winter road, time, snow, nature, splendor, snowy. That's someone trying to pack in some keywords, isn't it? <laughs> Just... It's obviously another another picture. Yeah, that would be something. Oh, be a interesting. Bit yep. So, you know, um, not something that's been, um, you know, not something that anybody made any trumpeting of, but... Uh... There you go. Um, sort of snuck in by the back door. Yeah, just one of those things they um, they brought in. Uh, and then we have the Mew browser, a web browser for Apple Watch, which is actually surprisingly great, according to the 9to5Mac. Um, and we were kind of laughing about this. <laughs> it's a bit like, why? Um, yes, because we all want to browse on our, our watches, don't we? Of course. Yeah. Well, we all desperately need to read Daring Fireball on our watch. To be honest, I find it hard enough to read Daring Fireball on my phone. Um. <laughs> Having said that, uh, the, the the little pictures on the web page are actually um, yeah, it not actually bad. it actually looks surprisingly good. I might download this um, and put it on my watch and play with it just for a laugh. Um, I, I can't necessarily see it has a great deal of real world use um no so I'm, I'm wondering if they if it's one of those why did you do that to see if we could um yeah it could it could quite possibly be uh i i wonder if you can um i wonder if you could follow links and things on it you know uh, say for instance you wanted to look up a, a, a telephone number of something are you able to then tap on it and although having said that uh you can use your watch to make phone calls, can't you, without your phone? Well, Only if you've got the cellular You know, one. I can't remember now. Yes, <laughs> if you've got a cellular one. If you've got a cellular just, one. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of some, some really, really esoteric use but, um, <laughs> where you could tap on the telephone number and it would automatically call it for you. Yeah, you can, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can probably do those sort of things. Um, what's it say here? It says um, it's 99 cents on the App Store. Um it's not perfect, but that's not the developer's fault. Apple could do far more to make websites appear better on the watch. Um, <laughs> uh, Apple probably think the same as we do. Uh, what? Like, why? <laughs> uh, images on yeah, some sites exactly. don't load quickly or at all. Um, we're not sure if that's because they take a long time to load, if they're incompatible, or they just can't load at all for some other strange reason. Um, custom fonts it won't render. Um, Could be the limited amount of memory on the phone, of course. Yep. On the phone, on the watch. On the watch. Um, There we go. Anyway, there you go. There's a link. You can go and have a look. And if you want to, you know, spend 79p, 99 cents uh, to play with it, there you go. It's a bit like, uh, yeah, to me, it's a bit like why. Um, Having said that, I have done things in the past and downloaded stuff in the past, which I've never used again just because I could. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, just so because. why not? Why not? Um, I don't know. Unless maybe it's a case of like you know sneakily reading the news while you're in a meeting, a very boring meeting where you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's a good idea to to be looking at your watch, though, is it really? <laughs> no, uh, probably not much. It's could... probably just as dead a giveaway as looking at your. That's uh, right. Are, your are you in? Are you in a hurry? <laughs> <laughs> Are we boring you? Yeah, there we are. Um. But that, uh, you know, I found that intriguing. Um, yeah, interesting one. Yeah, what else, what else was in the list? Um, where's my notes gone? Um, oh, this one I, I picked up. Um, the iPhone 13 Pro Steve Jobs Edition packs parts from original 2007 iPhone. Um, this is on CNET, and it's not quite what you think. Um, a company here who do... Um, they're called Caviar. Um, I think in the past they've done things like, you know, iPhones coated in gold and studded with diamonds and all that. Oh, right, yeah. One, one of those, right. For people with, basically, who just want to show off how rich they are. Um, you know, having a common or garden expensive iPhone isn't good enough. You know, you want to blatantly show off your um, 
obscene well. Um, apparently they made one with a dinosaur tooth. Um, um, for die-hard Apple fans who want to stand out, there's a new exclusive edition of the iPhone 13 Pro or 13 Pro Max, including parts of the original iPhone from 2007. Um, right, so it's it says, not parts inside. This is no, actually it's outside. Not, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, they're embedded into the casing. Um, there's pictures of it here. Um, it's, so they're only making 19 of them. Yes, they're like, so basically they are super collectible. Um, so it will, yes, it's basically an iPhone 13 and then... Um, yeah, so for the go. Pro, it's $6,990. Yeah. <laughs> or for the Max, Pro Max, it's $7,530. Oh, yeah, exactly. So if you just want to show off your, you know, conspicuous consumption... Um, I think I might get one. That'll be the end of my pension fund. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there we are. Um, oh, dear. Apparently, according to this, um, if you miss your chance but still have deep pockets, there are other options in Caviar's Steve Jobs product line. Um, apparently, including 13 Pro and Max models, supposedly featuring snippets of Jobs' famous black turtlenecks. Um this is here. I can't tell you how the brand ensures the authenticity of these clothing samples. Um, or if you're more, you more mobile, for $1,830, New Balance 991 sneakers, which Caviar claims has uh, <laughs> beatific slices of Jobs' old black pullovers tucked into the tongues like holy relics. <laughs> oh, dear. You've got to be a real fanboy to want some of these, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. That, that really And is, have a lot of money. Uh, yeah, that really is bordering on the, you know, I swear that this box contains, you know, contains a, a fragment of the true cross. And all, uh, yes. you need, all you need Precisely. to do is give me £5,000 and you will never get scurvy or the plague or dropsy or anything else ever again. And you're guaranteed yeah. to You'll probably catch everything else. Just not those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's um, that's mm. yeah, not for me. That's um, no. Well, good you. luck, good luck. I hope I I hope they sell some because well, people I've... are stupid enough to buy them. Yeah, people are, there's always somebody who buys them. You know, to show off just how much money they've got. Uh, yes, there we are. Um, good luck to them. That said, the um, looking at the picture, um. I don't actually mind the design of it, um, and it's it's engraved with a. Oh no, no, it's it, yeah, it's actually quite a nice design. It looks. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Borg. Yes, it's very. Um, it's like it's like a Borg phone cube, isn't it? It's, Just be careful; it doesn't assimilate you. <laughs> yes, but um, no, I, you know um, what we want yeah, is some. Ch- that's not ch- bad. What we want is some Chinese knockoffs. That are done as a That's case. right. I'll, I'll give you, you know. a fiver for it. Yeah. <laughs> a, you know, an aluminium case that you can slip onto your um, iPhone 13 with uh, a similar kind of uh, pattern engraved into it. That's right. Because as you say, it's actually quite cool looking. <laughs> I don't think it's worth seven grand or whatever it is. No. But there you go. No. Absolutely not. But there you go. They're only making 19, so effectively it's a piece of collector's art, I suppose. In yes. that uh, in that sense, I'm pretty sure caviar's point is not really to uh, you know it's like those anything that's made in a look what we made and we've only made nineteen and you can buy one for a ludicrous amount of money and tell everybody you've got one of only nineteen in the world. I suppose so. Yeah, the same as Banksy's artwork, that kind of thing. Mm. That becomes ridiculously expensive. I mean, I I, I liked his one with the shredding, yes. self shredding stuff. I thought that was a comic. Unfortunately, it, it complete. It, they completely missed the point. <laughs> well, it's all about the other thing was it didn't actually manage to shred the whole thing, did it? Didn't, it? it that's right, and then it became more valuable. Even more think, valuable because oh the whole point was it was supposed to um, shred the whole artwork after they bid millions for it. Um, yeah, I've got nothing against Banksy making lots of money for for stuff. That's all, you know. If that's his thing, absolutely go for it. But uh, yeah, well, of course, he, he also does. Um, because uh, this summer, if you follow Banksy, which has got nothing to do with tech, really, but as there's not a huge amount of news, I'll wander off down this little rabbit hole. Um, uh, why not? He took um, he took a, a seaside break near here. 
um, old bro. Oh, right. Yes, he took a seaside break, break here, like, you know, Lowestoft, Oldborough, places like that along the east coast here. Um, and whilst he was on mm-hmm. his holiday, he left a load of artworks in bus shelters and, and so on. Um, <laughs> That's cool. One of which I, mean, was... I like it. I like his. I like the fact that he that he does this, and and quite often, quite often they're quite uh, piercing political commentary as well. Yes, and also some of the stuff he some of the stuff he's done is is it's brilliant. Um, I'm not saying it's not brilliant. It's just that people seem to just go bonkers over it financially. Yes, um, uh, but there um, you go. One That's of the them... art world for you. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he did several things with bus shelters and so on. Apparently, one of them, the council painted over, much to the chagrin of everybody around. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody came along and anti graffitied it by painting over it with white. Um, people were not pleased. I bet they um, weren't. No. Um, also, talking of things actually being painted over in white, the, um, Banksy's, if you watch... Um, uh, a B- there's a BBC show called The Outlaws, um, which is a short sort of. I have seen it. Ad- yeah, I've seen it advertised. Advertised. I haven't watched it. Yeah, it, it, it's got um, it's got several well-known people in it, and it's actually it's a sort of darkly comic um, tale. Yeah. Um, but at the very end of it, there's a bit where uh, they find a Banksy, and uh, they're supposed to be, you know, doing community service. And he says, "I found some graffiti here. It's really quite good." And the woman who's like the supervisor is not looking. and says, "Paint over it." So they paint over it, and it actually was a genuine Banksy that they did that to. Oh right. Um, there we are. It's only a very small one, a uh, rat in a deck chair or something. I can't remember now, but uh, that that made the news because they when it aired, people said, "Was that?" actually a real Banksy that you painted over like, yeah actually it was um there we go nothing to do with tech or anything but uh but yeah he if you search it you you'll find it I forget um get what he named it something about a east coast break or something I forget but you can find it if you search it um and he did oh, several right. artworks whilst he was on his holidays as it were uh yeah um Apparently, the upcoming 12.1 update will fix the MacBook Pro's notch and menu bar issues, according to The Verge. That's not really surprising. Um, Apparently, uh, menu bar apps and such will no longer go behind the notch. uh, Because if you have a lot of menu bar apps and you don't use something like Vanilla or um, Bartender to control them, if you have one of the pros with a notch in screen, they can disappear behind the notch. That problem will go away, much as we Jolly predicted. Good. Much as we predicted yeah. um, <laughs> at the time when people started squealing about it. Um, Absolutely. Don't have so many menu bar items. That's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got rather a lot, and they do reach it probably to the middle of my screen. So there you go. Well, you know, I've got a very wide screen, so mine... Mine yeah. go nowhere near now. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a big monitor, of course, they wouldn't be that many. But um, on a thirteen-inch, uh, you know, laptop screen, yes, or they... or worse still, uh, an eleven-inch. Yeah, mm. not that they make any more eleven-inch ones now, do they? No, they don't. Um, there we are. So, amongst um, all the other Jolly things good. coming in twelve point one, you will no need to no, you know, longer need to worry about your menu bar app disappearing behind your notch. Um, Apple are donating. Sounds sounds vaguely rude, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, Apple <laughs> having is... menu bar items disappear behind your notch. Mm. <laughs> Mm. Yes, not a euphemism. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Apple were donating to uh, the tornadoes in several US states, which we've mentioned. Um, yeah, that's good and to hear. following on from the fact that, uh, you know, we're talking about the uh, manual firmware update for uh, geniuses and uh, repair professionals, Apple has updated AirPods, AirPods Pro, and AirPods Max with new firmware versions. Uh, it was on the Yahoo. post. Yahoo, yes. Um, the real truth about that is I probably wouldn't go twisting yourselves out of shape. Um, that has been updated to version 4C165, a.k.a. 4.2, makes you care about that. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it depends on whether you have an issue that they've fixed. Yeah, 
<clears throat> as usual with Apple firmware updates, they don't tend to tell you what they do. It just improves no. performance for all users, is what they usually say. Um, yeah, probably um, security patches and things as well. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much all the uh, all the Apple stories, to be honest. There wasn't much going on, unsurprisingly, as we head towards uh, Christmas. Uh, lots of stories, of course, about what's coming in 2022 and what we know about the iPhone 14 and all sorts of other gump that I really am not yeah. the least but interested in. Um, the so if any of you are having new toys for Christmas, and particularly Apple toys, do let us know in the uh, in the Slack room so that we can revel in your uh, enjoyment. Indeed. <laughs> Definitely. Please do. Please do tell us. Um, I managed to drop my... Uh, dropped my case today I, oh, I was coming home from church and forgotten that i'd stood my i've got like a bag with that i take my ipad down in and the ipad fell over um as i braked i thought and it went it made a crunching noise and i thought oh no uh, fortunately it wasn't my ipad <laughs> i have got a i've got a, uh, some pedals that i use with my music software all right, yeah. Turn pages and things to a little Bluetooth device. Um, I think it was that because that's made out of plastic. So I think it was just creaky plastic plastic that fell. I don't oh. think it broke anything. That's a stomach churning noise. But I did though, panic just for a minute. Yeah, well, <laughs> it is, but yeah. very panic inducing at the best of times. I'll be honest. Um, right, yeah, I thought yeah. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, remember either put the seatbelt on it or lay it flat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Although I've done that before, I've put my laptop, you know, I've hopped in the car, put my laptop bag on the passenger seat, and uh, like most laptop bags, it's heavier on one side than the other. And yeah. if you if you fail to put the heavy side, like against the back of the seat, if you break, it has a tendency yes, to roll over, fall over, roll over. Um, and my bag tends. I tell you what, I've bulging. done. A, I've done yeah. a few times over the last twelve months, and I, each time I do it, I think I must do that. I'm going to end up breaking it. Same thing, my iPad. So this is the twelve point nine inch iPad, the uh, first edition one. Um, I put it, stand it up on my seat when I'm singing and I'm standing up and then forget that it's there. So I sit down and it, and because the seat is one of these seats that has a gap in the back, the iPad just falls through onto the floor. <laughs> Fortunately, it's in one of these rubberized cases. So, so far I haven't broken it, but I think I keep thinking one of these days I'm going to yeah. do that. I'm going to be so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Or I've sat on it. I've I've done that once. I sat on Ooh. it. I thought, oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh no. no. Fortunately, I didn't put my full weight on it. Oh, yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> that's a heart stopper. That's for sure. Um. Yeah. Yes. So technology news. Uh, good news. Uh, NASA says Hubble has returned to full scientific operation. Hurrah! That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing they've managed to do that. Yep. Uh, Considering it was sort of pretty much dead, the last thing we heard. Yep. But they've um, managed to reboot it and get it working again. That's brilliant. Yep. So um, apparently the Hubble Space Telescope team recovered the Space Telescope Imaging Spectrograph on Monday, December the 6th, and it is now operating all four active instruments. Um, and they have not detected any further synchronization message issues since monitoring has begun on the 1st of November. Uh, uh, so there's still a bit of a way to go to get it fully working, but that's good, um, isn't it? Well, no, I think that they will continue to work on developing and testing changes to instrument software, which would allow them to conduct operations even if they encounter lost synchronization messages in the future. So um, oh, basically... Right. Oh, they'd... sorry, yes, I was reading... Yeah, I was reading this web page back to front. It, uh, no, it no, starts no, yeah. with the most recent stuff. The most recent it? one is at the top. Back yes. into the past. So, yes. <laughs> back to full. Back to full. Um, and they, they had to work That's very brilliant. hard to do it. And they had to work very, very hard. If you followed the story, they, as we reported, I don't know, a couple of shows ago, where they turned on some obsoleted piece of kit that hasn't been used in years and then used that to um, probe. Uh, what the problems were um, and work back from there. No doubt some very clever people spent a lot of time working on that one. Yeah, very clever, considering it's so far away and all yes, that stuff. It is. Um, it's uh, amazing. And uh, as we mentioned at the start, Amazon 
uh, outage, right? Amazon says a software problem was the root of the huge internet outage this week. Um, and this was on Fortune. Um, an automated process in its cloud computing business caused cascading outages across the internet, affecting everything from Disney amusement parks, Netflix video and robot uh, vacuums. Oh, and apparently Adele's ticket sales. So, you know. Um, this is the... Uh... Uh, what we were saying before the show, weren't we? This is part of the problem with uh, Amazon Web Services is that it underpins a lot of companies now. Yes, a lot of companies rely on AWS for their storage and their and, and their virtualized machines. Um, yep. Yeah, it. I think we also said, didn't we, before the show, that we're quite a long way away from the ubiquitous uh, internet that was unbreakable. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, some bits of it are very breakable now. <laughs> that's uh... and cause an awful lot of trouble when they go down. I, 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 somebody did a tweet, and I can't remember it word for you know word for word, but basically it was along the lines of you know 1985. We're going to build a decentralized internet which can survive a nuclear war by rooting around damage. 2021. Ah, Amazon has gone down and taken half the internet with it. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, as happens, these things, you know, things doesn't matter how decentralized you try and make it, things have a tendency to, uh, you know, accrete yeah. into, you know, just or, be, just bear in mind, folks, that things go wrong. Yeah, that's right. A <laughs> it lot of eggs in how one. Careful you are. A lot of eggs in one basket. Um, in a statement yeah. on Friday, Amazon said the problem began when an automated computer program designed to make the network more reliable. Ironically, ended up causing a large <laughs> number of its systems to unexpectedly behave strangely. This in turn caused a surge of activity on the Amazon networks, ultimately preventing users from accessing some cloud services. A bad piece of code was executed automatically and it caused a snowball effect. Um, the outage persisted because the internal controls and monitoring systems were taken offline by the storm of traffic caused by the original problem. Um, Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Amazon have explained the failure in a highly technical statement posted online. Um, there you go, and then there's some, some more. Um, as it say, uh, it's interesting to hear that. It's interesting to hear that it um, that it happened that way because a lot of things in life happen that way. Things sometimes fail simply because of something else that completely overwhelms the system. Uh, it takes me back to a program I remember watching years ago about uh, alarm systems. And apparently in the, was it the 70s, we had several air crashes and a lot of them were caused because the crew were so busy cancelling alarms, they didn't respond to the immediate emergency. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's I... the same sort of thing here, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Well, cascading failures are always, a, you know, a massive problem. Um I mean, there was one earlier in the year, wasn't there? And, and that was, was that Google who had a problem? I think it was Google. And they, you know, they had a thing where somebody applied a, a patch which didn't do what it was supposed to do. And then it took yeah. everybody down. And then the very people who were trying to fix it were locked out of their own tools. And so, you know, they had to work around, <laughs> yes. to, yeah. you know, try and work around to actually get back. They couldn't verify themselves, I think, that they were actually Google engineers to be let into the system. Um, Part of the problem is the complexities of the systems in the first place. So that they're so complicated, the systems, that sometimes a completely unrelated thing can bring down an awful lot of stuff simply because no one had foreseen that series of events. Exactly. You know, it's the dominoes, isn't it? One thing tipped another, tipped another. It is. And, yeah. Um, if you've got something, you know, just because you don't have to have a single line of dominoes, they can spread out like a tree and go in all directions, bringing things down as they tumble. So there yeah, we that's are. A good, a good analogy. There we are. Um, it was apparently, I, I don't think it, well, I don't know how, I didn't notice anything, but um, I'm not online all no, day, every anything. day. You know, <laughs> but it uh, certainly caused havoc on the, apparently the eastern seaboard of the US was heavily impacted. Um, I'm still having issues with my with my internet. 
not my internet. I think it's my Wi-Fi. So I'm still having issues where sometimes I'll go to my phone or my iPad and I'll call up a web page and it just says, I just get a blank page and then eventually it says, I can't connect to the internet. When, and, and my Wi-Fi is showing us, you know, full bars and everything. Um, it's very strange. Very strange. I don't have the problem on my computer because my computer's plugged directly into the router. So I think it must mm. be my Wi-Fi. But how do I prove that to my internet provider? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's a tricky one because sometimes it works perfectly okay. So I do. I have had uh, recently. Um, I've had a few issues where my internet will, you know, stop working as it were, like on my phone or my laptop. And if I go into the, yeah. um, if I go into the Wi-Fi settings. You will find yep. um, that the Wi-Fi is fine, but it says you are not connected to the internet. Um, now, well, that's I'd, interesting. Um, if you look on, so, your I'll phone, tell you something else that's interesting about it. Something else that's interesting about it is I've found that if I go into settings and turn the Wi-Fi off and then turn it back on again, then it works. Yep. Yep. When I get when I get back to the web page, it's loaded. It. I have. Um, um, so yeah, it's weird, and it's happening on both my. I thought at first it might be my. I was seeing it most on my iPad, but I use my iPad most anyway. Yeah, so that's what um, I'm going to see. And I thought it? it was just my iPad to start with, but I don't think it is. I think it's my Wi-Fi somehow. So if anyone else has come across this problem and managed to fix it, do let me know. Yeah, I mean, at one <laughs> it's point, it's just I... really weird because, as I say, sometimes, and it's not just web browsing either. Sometimes it's an email, so I'll go to an email and try and open it. I just get a blank page. Uh, so yeah, it's weird. It is a little. I've I've had a bit of that, so I don't know if there's you know something else going on. But um, yeah, I've had. I did start to worry that my you know maybe my um, modem router was beginning to degrade. Um, yeah, that's what I've been wondering. But um, I have had it checked by Virgin, and they said it's fine. We can't find anything wrong with it. But of course they can't because when they're checking, it's working fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. You have Inter to be here when it goes wrong. Intermittent <laughs> faults are, you know, notoriously difficult, aren't they? There's like the, you know, take they the car are. to the garage yeah. and go, I keep hearing this weird rattle. And then they drive it around and go, I can't hear it. And then you get in the car and 400 yards down the road, you hear the rattle again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, uh, well, never mind. It's not a it's not a problem I can't live with, but it's just fractionally annoying. Yeah, <laughs> like all these things, first world problems. Definitely right? a first world. Yeah, definitely a first world problem. Oh, dear, dear. Um. So yeah, that was a, a huge thing. Uh, that was on Fortune, but it, you'll find stories about that all over the place. Um. And then I thought I'd mention this one. Uh. This is um a short documentary from The Verge. Uh, Springboard, the secret history of the first smartphone is now available on YouTube. Um, and this is a short documentary film from The Verge uh, by Dieter Bohm um, about Springboard, uh, a company who made um, the uh, Handspring, uh, Handspring Visor, Handspring Trio. Um, if you're of a certain age... You may well remember these. They were they kind of sprung into being at the same time as the coloured uh, fruit coloured iMac G3s. So um, quite a lot of their devices actually kind of aped that style. They had coloured fronts and sort of pinstripe semi-translucent backs and so on. Um, yeah, it was. I remember seeing them advertised and really quite liking the idea, but not actually being able to afford one. Um, the main idea was that they took, in effect, a PDA originally. They took a, the idea of a PDA and said, how could we make this better? And they took the idea from the uh, Game Boy of having a slot into which you could insert a cartridge uh, to expand the capabilities of the device. And uh, people made all sorts of weird and wonderful things, cameras and radios and, uh, of course, a telephone attachment and all sorts of things. And uh, they were sort of a sprung out of palm. There's a, the, the, the documentary explains it all. It's a long and tangled tale, uh, part of which we heard when we had Jean-Louis Gasset on about how palm was kind of acquired and split and sold off and remerged and all sorts of other things um but it's a fascinating tale about um a product that really was ahead of its time but um kind of introduced uh a lot of the things 
which we now take for granted that a smartphone can do, you know, take photographs and email them to your friends, uh, you know. It was browse. an exciting time, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was the beginning of it was the beginning of convergence when things when they started to bring all these different things together in a small device. Um, so yeah, there were lots of people trying um, around about that time. So um, yeah, and unfortunately, I think I might watch. I'm going to watch yeah, that. That looks quite interesting. It's only about half hour long, so it's you know you're not. It's not a big commitment. Um, but it it features yeah. the the four people who were behind Springboard who um, basically quit uh, Palm to go off and do what they wanted to do because Palm wouldn't let them. Um, in the end, of course, you know, the company failed. Um, it was not a success. But there's an interesting point where um, they said they had a meeting with Steve Jobs uh, to put forward their vision. And Steve went up to the whiteboard and drew, you know, a, a Macintosh and then a circle around it with spokes out going to music and movies and messaging and phone calls and all these other things saying, you know, the, the Mac will be the your digital hub. I don't know if we, you know, you might remember that, from, but that was a thing. Now, I think he even brought it up on stage at a, um, WWDC or something. Um, yeah. You know, the Mac will be your digital hub from which all these other things will hang, music and movies and all that. And uh, they got up and said, no, I think you've got it wrong, Steve. And they drew uh, a picture of their you know, nascent smartphone and then had everything hanging off that and said, the future is mobile. The future will be smartphone. Um, and as I said, we can't necessarily claim to uh, have maybe made Steve go away and think um, about the iPhone. But let's just say Apple seemed to redouble their efforts to think about uh, making the iPhone after that meeting. There we are. Um, yeah, as we said, uh, as we said earlier, the uh, whenever we have ideas, they're often the product of other people's ideas all coming together in a certain way. So, yep, yeah, it's possible. Yep. It's possible, isn't it, that he had well, a, a small effect. I think, he, you know, they may well have done. Um, as he said, I'm pretty sure, you know, the iPhone was already in early development, but maybe we got Steve to think about it as maybe being the next step rather than something that just hung off the edge of the... Maybe. ...the yeah. Mac um, thing. It's an interesting documentary, and the people involved are, you know, pretty open and honest about um, how things went and, you know... Some of their products were rubbish and uh, so on. At one point, he does say, you know, the difference was, of course, that Steve, uh, when when he's talking about negotiating for the iPhone, could go in and say, we've got 100 million Mac users. Would you like them to be your customers? And he said, as Handspring, we're going to the carriers and saying, you know, they're saying, we've got 100 million customers and you've got 11 million users. Would you like to... <laughs> have our customers yeah. so um yeah. said the boot was on the other foot you know apple uh carried way more clout than we could as a startup but it, it, it's fascinating and i remember those devices um and i remember seeing them advertised in um mac user um you know right in the pages of mac user um that's a, cool it is a fascinating story and uh it is very much the story of the vision of what the iPhone or Android phones have become, but um, before it was really possible. Um, well, yeah. well worth a what. Well worth a what. Um, right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll take a five-minute break, shall we, uh, Nick? And we're going to yeah, go over to uh, John Nemo in his hardware store because John Nemo this week has his product of the year. And he's going to tell us all about it. So take it away, John. Nemo's Hardware Store is honored to award Product of the Year to the AT2040. That's the AT2040 Hypercardioid Dynamic Podcast Microphone from Audio Technica. The website is AUDIO hyphen t-e-c-h-n-i-c-a dot com audio dash technica dot com cost in the u.s is 99 dollars free shipping they call it a podcasting mic because it is way way better than any other mic that a podcaster would normally use but i'm going to talk about it in a different context 
Podcasting is pretty straightforward. I'm going to talk about it as a performing mic. I'm in a band, and I've been using the AT2040 as my performance microphone. They say the AT2040 offers podcasters and content creators all the features needed to get started or to upgrade their setups for a more professional sound. Fair enough, and you definitely will do that. But this is essentially identical functionally to a $400 microphone from a very well-known competitor, and we've been testing it back and forth because the bass player in the band has the $400 mic from the well-known competitor, and to my ear, this much more affordable one, way more affordable from Audio-Technica, is just as good, and for my voice, even a little brighter and clearer and with more presence. Here's what they say. The dynamic design provides warm, rich, and professional-sounding vocals. Well, it certainly does. Here's what you get. A cylindrical black mic with a built-in filter, and there is a screw thread because this goes directly onto your mic stand. You do not pull it off to walk around the stage like Mick Jagger. This is permanently affixed by screwing it into the stand or the boom. So it's really solid. It's really rugged. You could prop up your SUV with a couple of these things, and you could pound in tent pegs when you go hiking in the Outer Hebrides. At the bottom, there is an XLR cable. This is an XLR mic. So if you're using it for podcasting, you need a mixer of some sort or some way to convert it to USB. But in our case, we either plug it directly into our amps or into our professional mixer. You can read lots and lots about it, see beautiful pictures of it on the website at Audio Technica. It has an internal pop filter and an internal shock mount. Clean articulation, I completely agree. They tell you why choose a dynamic over a condenser. Lots and lots of stuff on the website. This is a brand new product. So there are some reviews from independent reviewers. They are crazy in love with the AT2040 microphone. I went into using it before I had read any of the reviews. I just plugged in the XLR cable, screwed it into the boom stand, started singing. I had no idea what it was going to sound like. It is exceptional. This is by far the best microphone I've ever had. I've had microphones from many different companies going way back to 1966 when I started performing in my first band. So for a long time, I've been using pull-out microphones, the ones that need a mic clip. This is the first time I've used one that just stays in one place, and it is a joy not to worry about going flying across the stage or across the room when somebody bangs into it. Absolutely love it. So for $99, you are getting almost all, if not more than all, of the $400 microphone. But this is a gem. Audio-Technica also makes themselves more expensive professional microphones, but we're not comparing it to that. We're just saying for 100 bucks, you get the best microphone you've ever had and certainly the best one I've ever used. So congratulations to Audio-Technica for an outstanding, world-class, $99 microphone, the AT2040 Hypercardioid Dynamic Microphone. This will be not only your product of the year, but you'll have it for the rest of your life, and I'm sure I will treasure mine and be using it forever. That's it for Nemo's Hardware Store, and I've got some more award-winning stuff coming up every week for the next several weeks. So thanks for listening here on Essential Apple. Thank you, John. And there we have it. The Audio-Technica 2040 uh, microphone. John's product of the year. Links, of course, in the show notes. Well, Nick, um, not much to do now before we wrap the show up. Um, security and privacy. Um, apparently, a shocking report here. iOS users who opt out of app tracking continue to be tracked by uh, Facebook and Snapchat and various other people. Well, what a surprise. Yeah, colour me shocked. 
colour me shocked. <laughs> uh, loose interpretations of Apple privacy policies are allowing apps such as Facebook and Snapchat to continue tracking users targeted for targeted advertising even when they have asked not to be tracked because they're using things like fingerprinting and various other things which are um, not necessarily uh, specifically outlawed by um, Apple's terms. Um, it rather reminds me of that Monty Python sketch uh, where he says, you stay here and I'll go, I'll go, go and guard the princess. Where are you going? I'm coming in with you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you stay here. <laughs> <laughs> you stay here. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh right. Um so that's um apparently a warning issued for millions of Microsoft Windows 10 and 11 users. This is on Forbes, so it's one of their fairly negative pieces. Um the reason I've put this in, however, is um apparently uh security researchers uh have confirmed that a bot patch to windows uses leaves a security hole in all windows virtues, uh, versions including 10 11 and server 2022 uh for a hack which is more powerful than the original um the good news is an unofficial patch has been made available to buy users time while microsoft works on fixing it um uh this goes into depth about what its cve number is and so on um Microsoft yeah. confirmed a new flaw, previously telling Bleeping Computer, we are aware of this disclosure and do what is necessary to keep our customers safe. Uh, doing what is necessary is taking time and has been almost three weeks since the uh, vulnerability was discovered. Um, this is where Zero Patch steps in. The third-party security specialist has released a micro-patch, which has been made available for Windows users. Um, and there's a link in the Forbes article, which is in the show notes. Um, you need to register for a Zero Patch account and install its download agent before you can apply the fix. Uh, Zero Patch has an impressive track record for itself and is fast becoming the go-to solution for Windows users left in the lurch by Microsoft. Um, there we are. There's a hole in your Windows, dear Microsoft. <laughs> dear, dear Microsoft. Microsoft. Um, <laughs> a hole. <laughs> As it says, when can we expect an official uh, fix? Uh, Nasseri in particular is not hopeful, saying you better wait and see how Microsoft managed to screw the patch up again. But at least for now, you have abandoned. <laughs> yes, that's rather, you know, rather pointed of him. But there we go. Um, so, yeah. yes, if you're running Windows at the moment, um, you should probably follow this link and uh, get the patch, because apparently it is being actively exploited in the wild. There we are. That's the public service announcement for today. Um, and then I've got some links here to siliconvalley.com, um, security intelligence, and... That's for, that's for all our Windows listeners. That's for all our Windows listeners, of course. Well, yeah. But we're then again, to have loads of those. Well, yeah, <laughs> you say that, but I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners probably run Macs and Windows. It's um, Oh, that's true. That's true. If, you know, if, not, if not at home, at work. At yeah. work or, you know, in a virtual machine or whatever. Um, so, you know, I yes, it's not a Windows show, but when things like that pop up, I do like to mention them. Can't do any harm. Um, and no, Absolutely not. that's not that's not to laugh at Microsoft's expense. That's to say, there's a patch that you can get which will help protect you while Microsoft finish figuring out what's gone wrong. Uh, okay, yeah, SiliconValley.com, security intelligence, and uh, nine to five um, all cover the uh, log for zero day vulnerability, which we spoke about before, which is uh, tied to Apache and all sorts of other things if you're interested um, in finding out what that's all about. Um, I don't think there's much individual users can do. Um, it's down to people and developers who make use of the, yeah. uh, the Log4J. Well, you're not likely to be using... Yeah, you're not likely to be using Apache unless you're doing web stuff. No, or, you know, apparently this log, uh, Log4J... And you, you need a server, yeah. a web server. But it's all, yeah. this library is also put into various... Um, it's used apparently by applications that can pull things from the web and 
various other things. Right. Um, oh, okay. So it's not just web, uh, well, necessarily no, web-based stuff. It's... Well, it's things that use the web. It's a, Apparently, it's a kind of core library, and it's important. Um, and it has been yeah. patched, but basically the risk is, as usual, making sure everybody gets patched deployed as soon as possible. Um, uh, but the fact is, an awful lot of the stuff we, a lot of the apps and things we use these days nearly all have web extensions of some sort. So. Yes, you know, everything, yeah. everything's connected to the web somewhere along the line, usually. So um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, I'm sure that's something that Alastair or uh, Dougie could tell us about. Um, Dougie, if you know anything about it and would like to put stuff in the Slack, we'll mention it next time. Um, mm-hmm. Or any of other listeners who, uh, you know, uh, au fait with such things would like to explain yes. it to us. Yeah, anybody? Or if you want free. to come on and tell us about it. Yes, feel yes, free indeed. to do that as well. Feel free to come and explain <laughs> it all to us because really we know nothing, Jon Snow. Um, <laughs> I know nothing. Um, so that's that. I've got a couple of worth of chirps. Um, one from Jim. Uh, Neural Cam app adds 48 megapixel AI super resolution upscaler to the iPhone. Uh, that was on Petapixel. Um, it uses machine learning slash AI to do a slim, similar thing to um, Pixelmate, Pixelmator's super resolution. Um, oh, which, right. That's clever, uh, isn't it? allows you to take, mm. you know, lower res uh, photographs and upscale them um, in much better ways than we used to have in the past. And I have to say the one in Pixelmator Pro is bloody amazing. I've taken nasty little images. Uh, the, the, the one where we did round the houses, the one of Noddy, which I used for the show art, that come, came from a tiny, yeah. tiny little thumbnail. Um, and if you look, you can see it's not brilliant. It's still not brilliant. But if I was to show you the original um, thumb, like thumbnail size picture of the book cover I took it from, um, you would be it's amazed. About eight pixels. <laughs> <laughs> not quite that small, but uh, yeah. It, when I when I blew it up to you know a thousand pixels across, um, yep. it looked like it was made out of Lego and it was full of horrible JPEG artifacts and all the rest. When I uh, used Pixelmator Pro to super resolution it, um, it was incredibly good. It, it does a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently, if you want to do that on your iPhone, um, there's now an app called Neural Cam, which adds super resolution upscaler. I don't know how much it is. Um, no mention, I don't think, in this article of how much it costs, unless it's further down. They've got images here showing you, um, you know, how nicely it um, can scale things up, of course. They've got some uh, really quite nice ones here of some sort of... Um, the sort of thing that's really quite difficult to do, which is some diagonal sort of barcode type lines, which they've upscaled. And normally, if you do that in the normal manner, it will go all fuzzy and horrible. Um, doesn't mention... Uh, new- four mm. rows. Oh, $4. $4. Blimey, that's cheap. Um, the up- I can't find it, as it's- usual with Apple, when you search. I've got Neural Cam Night something or other. Um, from the app Neural store. Cam Live... It's Neural Cam Not Night Mode cam. and AI Cam. Yeah. That's probably it. It looks like a sort of... Oh, it, oh, it is that one. Okay, like a, so it's £3.49 in the UK. Yeah, okay, three ninety nine um in the US, although it says the upscaler is a separate in-app purchase. Yeah, it has got in-app purchases. How do you, how do you see in-app yeah, purchases? Yeah, I know. They, they, you can do it, but they're, um, they're hard to find. I know they are. I have this every time when I want to look at... Um, Oh, it's another it's another four dollars to buy the super resolution package. So if you want the super oh, right. resolution, it's eight dollars all told. Um, you know, that's not unreasonable. That's not unreasonable. Um, if you wish to do that on your phone, um, personally, I'd just do it with Pixelmator. But there you go. That's up to me. It's a whole yeah. different. That's a whole different ball game. Um, so that's that one, which was uh, came from Jim. Um, I think this one also came from Jim, which is. Uh, Ubuntu Web, a Chrome OS alternative which respects your privacy. Um, and the point of this is, apart from Chrome OS, there are other web-based operating systems available for Chromebook, and Ubuntu Web is one of them. Um, uh, instructions okay. how to download cool. and install it. So if you have a Chromebook and would rather not be running Chrome OS, but would uh, prefer to run Ubuntu Web, suitable for um, running, have a look at the article in the show notes. Um, 
I have to admit, I do rather like Ubuntu. I know this is Ubuntu Web, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, I've always liked Ubuntu as a as a flavour of Linux. Definitely. Yes, I find it, you know, easy to get on with. And um, it's quite Mac-like in a lot of ways, um, which might be part of the reason I like it. Yeah. Um, but I've always found it pretty solid, though. I have to admit, Indeed. you know, I don't think it's very likely now, but uh, there were times in the past it's like, yeah, if, if Apple goes in the wrong direction, Ubuntu would be uh, my home OS of choice, I think. Anyway, there we are. I don't think yeah, there was going... a there was a time when they were t- thinking of doing an Ubuntu phone, weren't they? They did. And it looked it, really nice. It didn't. It didn't take. They abandoned didn't it. Catch on. No. I think they were too late to yeah. the game. That's the truth. They were too late to the game. Although it probably did, so did did um. In fact, I suspect that this uh, like... Ubuntu web might be a kind of you know later offshoot of that work. Could be. Could be. Um. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to have a Chromebook and not run Chrome OS, there's an alternative. There are others, apparently, but I'm not aware of them. Um, and just a snippet, really, before we wrap it up all together. Apple has renewed a trademark for Mammoth as an operating system name. Um, there you go. Don't know what to say about that one. Um, the trademark extension for the use of Mammoth uh, as a computer operating system category was granted to the Shell Corporation Yosemite Research. Um, Mammoth has a California theme as it refers to the Mammoth Lakes area of the Sierra Nevada Mountains, apparently. Oh, that's disappointing. I was hoping we were going to get dinosaurs next. Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> Mammoth is not really a dinosaur, but yeah. Mac, Mac OS. Uh, oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Mac OS Pterosaur and then Mac OS. That's right, yeah. Stegosaurus. Uh, we have some fun there on Mac OS Alankasaur. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Can you imagine the uh, screensavers as well? Brilliant. Yeah. Although spelling it might <laughs> Maybe be. Maybe we were to write, write to Steve and suggest it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I don't. I think they dig up a lot of dinosaurs in in that area, don't they? Nevada and places. Uh, maybe they should. Yeah, yes, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Saying that Mac OS is a bit of a dinosaur would actually go down very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, probably probably not a great idea. Oh yeah. There we are. Well, that's all the stories, really, uh, Nick. So I guess we'll wrap it up. Um. So if you want to do your usual, tell people where they can find you occasionally. Yeah, indeed. Um, um, Twitter, I'm Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. And I'm in the Slack chat room, which you're all very welcome to come and join us in. And occasionally on Bart's Let's Talk Apple. I could have got on the last one and, and then I forgot to respond to his email. <laughs> so there we go. Well, Did I put d- one out last week? Uh... I I did, but um, the the timing was like mm, I'll have about ten minutes between wrapping up this show and starting his show. So ah uh, right, was that it? Yeah, I, I think the last yeah he's recording at yeah it was like, about six thirty or something, wasn't it? Yeah, like now he's recording now. <laughs> I thought uh, that might right. so that was would have been a bit awkward then. <laughs> might have been a bit awkward, so I thought I'd pass on that one. Yeah. Um and the, yeah, previously of late he's been recording late at night, which um, works well for the Americans, but not so well for me. Uh, yeah. And if you want to, if you want to hear um anything from our uh, uh, church website, our YouTube channel, then that the the it's in the show notes. Um, this week I had problems with audio, so you might have to turn it up quite loud. <laughs> yeah, for no apparent reason, the output to uh... yeah, I haven't been able to work out why, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. We'll, you know, more more investigations required. Um, Indeed. I, I of course, can be found on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S E R E N A K. The show is at Essential Apple, and all our stuff is on essentialapple.com. Uh, yeah, we're in the Slack room, of course. Feel free to join that. The link in the show notes will dump you straight in. Uh, no messing around, getting approved or anything. Just follow the link and you'll be uh, straight into the Slack room with the rest of us where we have all sorts of jolly japes and uh, fun and games. And uh, uh, Jim likes to post his pictures, uh, which are always interesting. Um, 
Yeah, this week, it's been very exciting. This week, we've been comparing temperatures. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, yeah. all sorts how, of how warm it is in uh, how warm it is in uh, in uh, New Zealand and how cold it is here in the UK. Exactly, all all sorts of things go on in there, and people share stories. And we have, uh, you know, we share stuff for the show, and we have other things going on—just general chit chat and jokes and and the like. So feel free to join us in that. This is where, of course, I say thank you to everybody who supports us. Uh, you know, be it with cash or beer or wine, or uh, you know, by retweeting our stuff. Um, uh, Glad to say that uh, Peter Cohen retweeted us several times and put out several uh, mentions of our show. So thank you for that, Peter. Um, we appreciate all of your support. Um, you know, go over and leave a review on the uh, Apple Podcast thingy if you like. We haven't had one for an age. Uh, and that's about it. So I think for today, we'll call that it. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye, all. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh... Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen. Some people like their live casts to be informative, to the point, provocative, and timely. The Mac to the Future livecast is some of those things, but we won't say which ones. Join Dave Ginsberg, Guy Searle, and Warren Sklar for a weekly dose of Apple Fun every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Facebook or in the Mac to the Future Facebook group. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time.